Would you stand with me for the reading of scripture this morning? It is from John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. We're continuing in our survey of the seven signs and wonders of Jesus in the gospel of John. For those of you keeping score at home, we are at the halfway point. This is the fourth sign. We are following the first three signs, which were the water to wine in Cana, the healing of the official son, and then last week, the healing at the pools of Bethesda. Here is the fourth sign. Hear God's word for us today. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. And when he looked up, he saw a large crowd coming toward him. Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for all these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And then Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy over here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now, there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, all 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told the disciples, gather up the fragments of what's left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, And from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that had been done, they began to say, This indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ be seated and let me pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Um, Before we dive into this text, I want to do just a general check-in with all of you today. Um, Since I was last in the pulpit a few weeks ago, we've had some pretty big changes around here. The masks have become optional. Um, It seems that we moved into somewhat of a new reality almost exactly two years after all of our lives were changed. And certainly this church was changed as we adjusted to things that we had never really had to think of before, like live streams and lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. So it's been quite a season. And um, there's one question that I'm getting pretty constantly from uh, Hinsdale Covenant people like you and, and um, other, other church friends who aren't able to come here in person but want to know what's going on, and, and then even new friends that I'm meeting around town, and it's this question, how are things going at the church? I get asked that a lot. How are things going at the church? Um, maybe it's because people are really invested here and they, and they kind of want to gauge how, our, how healthy we are in this season. Maybe um, it's because of the proliferation of, of articles and and podcasts that we see today that basically lay out that the church is generally in decline, in a time of crisis, maybe deeply divided. 
maybe they want to kind of feel out my attitudes towards the current sort of cultural moment and season that we're in. I'm not really sure, but I'm pretty sure when I'm asked this, it's not a throwaway question from people. It's not just small talk. People are asking that question, and they truly want to hear the answer. They're leaning in to hear that answer. So how are things going at the church? Um, my answer is that it's kind of a mixed bag right now. There are things that we ought to be truly celebrating, and, and we're really trying to celebrate in fullness. Um, we're, we're able to worship more freely and fellowship more freely together. That's wonderful. We, we can see each other's faces and, and interact more purposefully with one another. There are new friends coming uh, and joining us every week here. If you're one of those uh, folks who's a, a newcomer here, we're so thankful for you. We're so encouraged by your presence, and, and we hope that you, you begin to feel like you're really plugging into this church. That's our great hope. Our children's ministry, it's, it's more than doubled in the last couple months. Um, there's a particular growth in the area of, of our nursery and Little Lamb's preschool area, which is super exciting and a sign of health for a church. Our youth ministry is, is thriving right now. We're so thankful for that. We've got weddings and baptisms on the calendar again. We're, we're in a really positive financial position as a church. There, there are so many good things going on. But then there's things to lament, too. And I want to own those, own those this morning as well. Um, there are those of us who, there, there are those among us who, who love this church, but they just can't come because of medical conditions, and it's really sad. And, and I don't know when they'll be able to come. Some have moved or made major shifts in their lives, which have moved them out of our fellowship and into another fellowship, which we bless, but that's an adjustment for us when friends move away. Many people are slower to sort of re-engage with church than I had hoped. Um, which is understandable. There's a ton of grace for that, but it's been surprising. I think the hardest thing for me right now is that so many people are re-entering sort of normal life and, and church life here pretty disoriented. Um, I've re-engaged with a lot of people, and, and the only thing I can say is that a whole lot of us are really a mess right now. These two years have taken a toll on us, some people more than others, to be frank. I've connected with some people in the last month or so that have changed so much over the last two years that I feel like I'm being introduced to a new person. There's pain. There's unresolved stuff that's coming to the surface. There, there are two years of deformation. There's an underlying depression and anxiety that we just prayed for in so many people. So I, along with my staff, I'm, I'm trying to meet those needs, those complex needs, and, and hold it all together. But it is a strange season. So there's so much joy and promise but there's so much complexity and confusion, too. If I could put a word on it, um, I would say that so many of us right now um, are experiencing a reduced capacity. A reduced capacity. We're emotionally drained. We're easily fatigued. Um, we feel under-resourced for all that life is throwing at us right now. Many of us are overwhelmed returning to work life or um, some sort of normalcy in the office or travel again. Students who are here, man, I love the students that are here, but I know how depleted many of you are after two years of in and out of school and sort of stilted social lives. Man, what a toll that's been for you. Many parents are, feel like they're drowning as they try and help their kids navigate this complex reality. My observation is that most of the people I interact with are operating at a greatly reduced capacity, and, and I feel some of that as well. I'm more tired at the end of the day than I remember being a few years ago. I feel the burden of, of people and, and our war-torn world more acutely. 
I feel under-resourced for all that God has for me and my family and our church. Are you feeling what I'm feeling? Can I just, can somebody nod, please, in my talk? Okay, thank you. Good, oh man, thought I was the only one. It's good to know that I'm not alone in this. And here's the good news, friends. What a perfect text for us to consider this morning, right where we are, right now. I'm always amazed at how often God seems to drop this text into, in our midst in such a timely and gracious way, right where we are right now. The feeding of the 5,000 as a narrative is a gift for us. So first, let me offer a, a few observations on this text that's going to help you understand this text a little bit better um, before I give you some encouragements from this text this week. Three, three things I want you to know about this text. First, you should know that this miracle actually occurs in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Anybody know the, uh, the only other miracle that happens in all four Gospels? It's the resurrection of Jesus. So it's the feeding of the 5,000 and the resurrection of Jesus are in all four Gospels. So it's clear that all four gospel writers saw this miracle as significant enough to write about it. All four writers, by the way, had vastly different audiences and people that they were writing to, different interests, different things that they were trying to highlight in, in Jesus' ministry, but all of them deemed this miracle as pertinent to their readers. Even John. John has a tendency to... to not tell the story that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have told, the synoptic gospels, and tell other miracles, other teachings of Jesus. Yet, he includes this one as well. More on this later, but suffice to say, this miracle is important. Anytime that there's a teaching or a miracle that's in all four gospels, we should be paying attention to it. Second thing I want you to know about this text is that it's the first and only sign in John's seven signs where the disciples are invited as participants. Um, it's a miracle that's designed, at least in part, to be a training exercise. It's a leadership opportunity for these disciples. Um, the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, we actually see the disciples being trained in lots of different ways, but, but this is a unique as a miracle in the Gospel of John. So whenever Jesus is involving his disciples in a significant way, um, it's a signal to me as a follower of Jesus Christ that there are probably additional layers of meaning to explore. And, and I think the more that we dig into this, we actually realize as, as those of us who are seeking to follow Jesus Christ that there's an invitation to participate and partner for us as well. Third thing I want you to know, and this is kind of vague, but there, this miracle is much more amazing than the text makes it. The, the text is being modest in terms of how awesome this miracle is. Um, the miracle is called the feeding of the 5,000, but the reality is actually a little more staggering. That figure, 5,000, is likely only representative of the men who were gathered. Um, it would not have included the women and children who were also there, nor the, the peasant or like below working class people who were, who were present there as well. So many scholars take a look at this, and, and they actually estimate that the correct number in that crowd could have been between 15 and 20,000 people. And for this reason, uh, when we start to think about those numbers, we start to try and rationalize it, right? And some, some preachers here in the Western world actually start to look at those numbers, and, and they begin to think of this miracle as more of a metaphor. I once heard a sermon from a great, brilliant mind, great preacher, someone I respect, who, who actually talked about this miracle, um, saying it, it, it probably didn't happen the way that we're reading it. The miracle was actually community, that, that one person shared, and then a bunch of other people brought food, and they had this potluck, and that was the miracle that the miracle was community. Um, I was not satisfied with that when I heard it. I mean, we had an awesome fellowship time last week where, where I ate like pierogies and 
and, uh, and, and egg tofu and all these incredible things. And it was a great fellowship time. I wouldn't call that a miracle, right? I don't know that we're going to be talking about that 2,000 years from now. What's miraculous is that there was a hungry crowd of thousands and thousands of people, and there was no food. And the disciples say to Jesus in the other Gospels, they actually say, you should send them away to get their own food. But what does Jesus say in the Gospel of John? He says, you feed them. Philip is incredulous at this. Do you know how much that's going to cost, Jesus? The text actually says 100 denarii. Um, a denarii is one day's wage. So that's six months, basically, of wages. You can do your own calculations and your own finances of what that would cost you to feed those people. Philip is incredulous. But Andrew, he finds a boy who has five loaves of barley bread, two fish, and he takes them to Jesus. He's like, this is the best I can give you. And then Jesus takes what's brought to him, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and begins to distribute it. And all of a sudden, they couldn't find the bottom of the bread basket. And the fish never ran out. In fact, there were leftovers. There's a detailed account of leftovers. The people that were there, they recognized that something miraculous, amazing had happened, and they praised Jesus. Now, I know there's a tendency to, to explain away these kinds of miracles, but I stand here honestly in full conviction telling you that this miracle happened, and these kind of miracles still happen. Pastor Joy reminded me this morning, we have a story in our community with our partners over in India where we did COVID relief with them, and, and they had medical kits and food kits. And, and twice as many people showed up as they had kits for, and they started to distribute them, and all of a sudden, the line's getting shorter, and they realize they've got more than what they need. These kinds of things happen. It was a material miracle where Jesus actually multiplied something material. He made earthly materials that are highly exhaustible. Bread and fish, he made them inexhaustible. Up to 20,000 people ate, full, ate fully, with food left to spare. That's a miracle. That's amazing. So that's the background on this miracle. Why is it so special? Why is it so timely for us here today? Well, as I said earlier, um, this is a passage that is about an amazing miracle, no question about that. But it's equally about the followers, the, these disciples of Jesus. How might we describe the followers of Jesus in this moment? They are facing the reality of a hungry crowd with no food, and you have your master Jesus who's saying, feed these people. How would you describe those people? Here's how I would describe them. They're words I've already spoken in this sermon. I would describe them as overwhelmed, under-resourced, with reduced capacities. Does that sound like anyone else you know? Does that sound like someone in your family? Does that sound like the people that you're interacting with? Does it sound like you today? that is you this morning, and from my recent experience, I think that it's actually most of us here this morning. I have three encouragements from this text for you, and of course, I would never say them to you if they weren't for me too. First is this. Jesus says, partner with me. Partner with me. Don't lose sight of the fact that, the, that Jesus involves the disciples when he doesn't really need to do that. We've already seen a miracle where the water gets turned into wine in Cana. He didn't involve the disciples at all, right? They were left out of that completely. So Jesus doesn't need the disciples to do this distribution work, but he chooses to have them participate with him. It's a reminder that God 
doesn't just want us to experience miracles so that we might stand back and go, wow, that was amazing to watch. He actually wants us to participate in the miraculous things that he's doing so we might be in awe of him. He doesn't need us to do this miraculous work, but he chooses to partner with us in that work. I want us all to hear this morning Jesus' words to under-resourced, overwhelmed, limited-capacity disciples. He says, partner with me. Now, if I were saying that apart from this pulpit, what do we hear in the broader culture to the under-resourced, the overwhelmed, those with limited capacities? I hear things like, focus on yourself. Self-care, meditation, relaxation, set some boundaries, go to a spa, manage your stress, take some me time, find inner peace. It is in you. You just need to find your center. Is that what Jesus says? Now, I'm not, I, all of those things are great. If you know me, you know that I care about self-care a lot. But it's noting that Je- it's, it's noteworthy that Jesus doesn't say any of those things. He says, partner with me, dig in, participate with me. In times like this, when we're overwhelmed, when we feel like we're operating on a limited capacity, there's such a tendency to pull away, to go inward, when Jesus is actually inviting us to lean in, to go further in. So may I encourage you to hear these words afresh this morning. Friends, in this season, don't pull away. Don't go inward. Lean in to Jesus. Participate even more fully in what God is doing in your life in your family, and in this church, and in the world. Second encouragement I want to give to you, and this is such a good word. Jesus says, just bring me what you have. Bring me what you have. Jesus has the disciples bring him whatever they can find. So what are they, what are they able to muster? Five loaves, two fish. Not nearly enough. They bring it to Jesus. And in this, the disciples are learning a foundational lesson One that we need to learn as well, which is in light of the realities around us, the sum total of everything that we bring to the table to meet to rise to these realities, whether they're gifts or skills or ideas or experiences or dreams or talents or or education or plans, they're really, if we're being honest, they're kind of like a couple sardines and some saltines when Jesus has told us to feed a thousand people, aren't they? Our insufficiencies are like comically apparent. They are to me every single day. Unless we heed these words. Just bring them to me. Bring me what you got. Because then something truly amazing happens. Jesus takes our insufficiencies and our inadequacies and our meager offerings. And he does what only he can do. Something that we can never do for ourselves. He takes them. He blesses them. He breaks them, and then he multiplies them. Somehow, some way, Jesus turns insufficiency and inadequacy when brought to him in faith into sufficiency and abundance. What do you have to bring to Jesus today? Limited time? Limited resources? Limited capacity? Well, it might not seem like much, and in actuality, it's not that much. But good news is that Jesus is in the business of taking our limited offerings, blessing them, honoring them, breaking them, and multiplying them for both us and for the world around us. It was a miracle when that happened in the field that day in Galilee. It's a miracle when he does it for us now. 
taking our best, feeble as it might be, and turning it into something amazing. By the way, I think this is why it's included in all four Gospels, this, this miracle, because I think that all four communities that are being written to by these Gospel writers had something in common. They were people of limited resource and limited capacity in a very complex world who were trying to navigate what it means to follow Jesus with hope and with faith. And that's been true of every single community ever since those initial communities got the Gospels, including us here today. It's the great equalizer. We are all limited. And we are graciously spoken to by Jesus when he says, that's all right. I see those limitations. Just bring them to me. Give me what you got. I know what to do. Third, Jesus is way ahead of whatever inadequacies we're experiencing. He's way ahead of you. I read this a bunch of times before it hit me. Verse 10. After they brought this meager bread and fish to Jesus, Jesus tells the disciples to go to the crowd and have them sit down. The Greek word for sit down here actually isn't like, you know, sit down. It's, it's actually to recline, which is what you do when you eat. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, get them ready for the meal. Now think about this. Jesus is telling the disciples to get a, a hungry crowd. Ever tried to, to manage a hungry crowd before? Trying to get a hungry crowd of thousands of people ready to eat before they even know that he's able to multiply these things. All they know is that Jesus has five loaves and two fish. And I love that before the disciples have any clue of how this is going to play out, Jesus has them organizing the crowd in preparation for a feast forces his disciples to take steps of faith by faith to act as if the grand meal was coming. So in other words, he puts them in the glorious position of acting in faith and risking looking like fools if he doesn't come through. But Jesus is way ahead of the disciples, and he's way ahead of you, and he's way ahead of me. He can see a grand future beyond the limited resources that we bring to him. He can see miracles that we couldn't possibly fathom. So, so he act, asks us to act in faith, to live out of the limited capacities that we have and the limited resources that we could reasonably ask for. Where you are right now, today, is not a surprise to Jesus. He is working towards a glorious place of abundance for you. And he asks us to step out of faith, even in our weakness, our frailty, our limit. We know what we have to offer. But we can have faith because we know who the master of the meal is, and that's Jesus. So I think this is an amazing word for us this morning. Friend, are you feeling under-resourced and inadequate and low capacity when you're trying to navigate this complex world that you find yourself in? Do you feel lost in how to even know how to follow Jesus in this season? It's okay. Because it's an incredible opportunity to walk in faith and to trust in Jesus who can take those limited materials and resources and provide a meal where, as verse 11 and 12 says, they all ate and they were all satisfied and there were 12 baskets left over. One for each of those disciples as a reminder of how God provides. May it be so. I want to go into a time of prayer as we respond this morning. 
And um, I want you to really ask that question, what am I bringing? What do I have to bring here today? What do I have to bring to Jesus? I, I made a slide with just some words on it. These are words that I hear as I'm talking with many of you, walking with many of you. What are we bringing to Jesus? Maybe one of those words sticks out to you today. Part of the good news of this passage is you don't have to have it all together to approach Jesus, to experience Jesus, to be a part of Jesus' work in the world, to see his power and his miraculous work. He asks us to come in faith with what we have. And maybe one of these words, you go, this is, this is what I'm bringing. This is what I'm bringing in this season. Jesus says, bring it to me. Bring it to me in faith. And see what I'm going to do. So let's pray. I want you to just visualize. Maybe if you, if you have the courage to do so, just hold your hands out in front of you and imagine what it is that you're bringing to Jesus. Meager as it might be, be honest with yourself. What am I bringing to Jesus today? And I want you to hear Jesus' gracious words saying, just bring it to me. It's enough. Give me what you have. And I want you to just visualize handing that over to Jesus and watching him bless it and break it, multiply it, and to do more than you could ever ask or imagine. Lord Jesus, would you take what we have? Would you take our meager offerings, our inadequacies, our anxieties and our fears? Would you take our limited resources and our limited capacities. Thank you, Lord, for not turning us away as we name these things. Thank you, Lord, for not saying I was expecting a whole lot more and better. Instead, you say, bring it to me. See what I'm going to do. Lord, may we encounter you in such a way, we pray in your name. Amen. I'll invite the band to come forward, I'll invite the rest of you to stand as we respond in song together, singing to Jesus, the lion and the lamb.